This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. So welcome to one and all to another exciting episode of Ultimate Global Podcast. Um, and in this episode, we are talking about this topic of making better financial decisions Another episode in this series of episodes that uh, we are having with the CEOs, founders, and co-founders. Um, and in this episode, we're joined by Gary Brown. Uh, he is the co-founder of Hatcher Advisory, and he's helping business owners succeed by maximizing their profits. So I, I think, uh, Gary, we would love to know more about Hatcher Advisory and what you are doing there, first of all, before diving a bit deeper into financial decisions. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. Appreciate the time. So I am one of the founders of Hatcher Advisory Accounting Firm uh, based in Melbourne. So we employ currently around 35 team members, been going strong for seven years. And now we're finally at the position where we've been able to free up some time to start you know, helping people to make those better financial decisions and start teaching that financial literacy. So we're, we're now at the point where we want to share with the wider community, you know, some of those tricks, some of those tips uh, that, you know, big high, high net worth individuals get to you know, keep in secret. Now it's time to share it with the rest of the world. That's interesting. Um, one of the things that I read in your LinkedIn profile was that you're helping a lot of business owners and individuals in general to make better financial decisions. But after that, it said, through education and future goal setting. So what does this mean uh, when you're talking about education and future goal setting? How are you guiding business people uh, in that regard? Yeah, great question. Um, I think we'll probably start a little bit, bit earlier than that. Like one of my favorite pastime stories is an 18-year-old myself buying a uh, $20,000 BMW and I got a loan from, and I won't mention the bank, but I got a loan from a certain bank and... It was 18, 19% interest on a 20 grand car. And I was at university earning $300, $400 a week. Uh, so not the smartest decision that I could have made. And I'm not too sure too many people would have been able to talk me out of it. But going back to you know the whole point here would be looking at the future and going, well, in the next two, three, five years, what do we want to achieve financially? Uh, whether that's in the business context, wealth creation, or even you know building a family. And with that, going, looking at all the decisions that we're going to make from the big asset purchases, whether it be, you know, purchasing your first house, uh, purchasing an investment properties, or looking at the ways that we can do the wealth creation and start building something for the future. So that goal setting is critical because goal setting would allow you then to have targets. Having those targets give you the motivation and having the motivation keeps you on track each week, um, you know, it's basic math says $100 a week invested uh, for 32 years in the right index fund or LIC would be a million dollars. And, you know, that that's pretty powerful, but without the right motivation, without the right goal setting, with without being accountable to it all, we can all fall off the wagon and not achieve those hefty goals. Yeah, and I can understand and assume that setting those goals and sticking to those goals can be sometimes pretty difficult. So I might point this discussion point to George. 
because he mentors a lot of students um financial decision is another decision that you're making in your life um and it also involves goal setting how can one stick to their goals and make sure the goals are fulfilled towards a better financial decision george well um i actually mentor business people as well as students uh but i do mentor students um my thing for most people is setting goals is easy um um especially if you're three parts drunk and four parts intoxicated and it's new year's eve let's just set some goals there we go and you can rattle off the whole heap of them and they generally last for anywhere from one minute to one day or one week and the big one will go for about a month um, those are not the sorts of goals that I'm interested in, nor is Gary promoting. Yeah. Goals, uh, there's there's plenty of stuff around about smart goals and, and all that sort of thing. The goal has to be realistic and it has to be based on something that's achievable and sustainable. So um, the, um, the premise that Gary put forward of $100 uh, there'll be people that will listen to this and go, oh, yeah, it's all right for him, I can't afford $100. Okay, then do $50 a week and that's half a million. Do $25 a week and that's quarter of a million. Um, but what happens is people say, well, I can't afford 100 so I'll just go and drink that today. Or, you know, $100 a week, I think, Gary, is now probably one and a quarter packets of cigarettes, or two packets. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's... It's yeah. ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous what people spend on cigarettes. Um, and, so, and, that's, and that's that discretionary spending where we're actually making that choice. We're making that choice to spend it on, you know, whether it is entertainment, whether it's smoking, drinking, gambling, whatever it may be. But over the past seven years, I've seen some extraordinary spending habits and, you know, they, they seem to have fun, but it's short term. Whereas yep. those people that set those goals to become a millionaire, become a multimillionaire, to buy 10 investment properties, whatever it may be, they they save as much as they can and they invest as much as they can. And they, you know, quite often achieve those goals. Yeah. And you don't, you don't, Sarab, you don't have to have the goal of being a millionaire. You don't, it doesn't matter what the goal is, so long as it's a goal that's taking you forward and you're, um, you're setting a realistic goal. I had somebody want to achieve an extraordinary income um, in the next 12 months, um, but they also wanted to cut back their hours by about 30%. So all of which was possible. They just had to, they just had to work out how they could justify increasing their fees by about 300%. It's not logical. <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's not realistic. So goals, yeah. goals are important provided they're sustainable if not yes it's, it's no different to new year's eve yeah. and i think that's that's a really good point to highlight is that especially coming up into the christmas period that these goals that you want to be setting are not supposed to be the new year's resolutions because you know statistically they fail way yeah. too much yeah. um yeah and i'm probably going to google the statistic now that we've talked about it but I think it's, and, and, and when you've got a partner, a partner, um, a relationship, you also have to get those 
that other person involved in it as well because I've seen where one of the one partner of a relationship will be like, yes, I want to, you know, again, put $100 a week into some form of investment and the other partner doesn't want to and don't see the value in it. So there's that con- that friction between both of them. So you want to make sure that in a, in a relationship, in a business, um, if you've got a business with multiple partners, that you're all aligned to those goals um, and you workshop them you workshop them quite well. I always think about them. You have to be measurable, has to have a due date um, and someone responsible for it. I think those, those are the three big ones that I focus on. I think you've, you've got to look back at it, look at the response that you do to making those goals, look at the debriefing process and make sure that everything's in alignment and keep working on it. So when you do fall down and you don't miss your, hit your target for this month, you debrief it, you reset and you go again next month. Yep. I think an interesting element to look in this series of CEOs, co-founders and founders, which we have been asking almost to everyone, is to share your best learnings um, as a CEO, which you would be advising to any new CEO or co-founder, uh, any young person who might be thinking of starting off their own venture. So what have been your biggest learnings, Gary, while starting off your own business? It's a a great question and I think the foundations go back to today I was having a conversation with an accountant who wants to go off and set up his own accounting firm and I was reflecting on what I would do differently if I was to set out today than what I did seven years ago and knowing everything I know now compared to seven years ago And, and for me it's that continuous learning. So We've invested as an organization, we've invested three, four hundred thousand dollars over the last seven years into, you know, upskilling myself um, and the other leadership team members. But that's not achievable for all all parties, and nor was it at the start of my business. But we did do the podcasts, we did do the books. Um, we and I think it's really important for anyone who's aspiring to go into business is to focus heavily on that continuous. Um, self-improvement because once the business is finished whether you have a, a an exit and you you know sell out or you close the business down you as a person remain and you will always go through life knowing what you know so if you invest in yourself then that will go through the whole your whole journey um, and I think that's probably I think that's the big key takeaway that I have and that I've learned is that by investing in myself, investing in my team, it's allowed me to get to a point now where I'm, you know, I I use the analogy that I've got a freedom business because I'm doing what I love to do. Every single day I get to do what I love to do because I've got that freedom and we've built this business to allow myself and other people to have that freedom. So continuous improvement is that one key pillar. This podcast is amazing. Um, there's obviously some books out there, some audio books that you can read, and it's just keep going out there, find those right mentors for you, um, find those business coaches, those those type of people, podcasts, all that is amazing. So be that continuous education part. Yeah. And I think uh... – Again, pointing out to George, this is very important that finding out your right passion uh, towards whatever you are doing. It can be uh, it can be your own business. It can be passion towards your own job. Um, someone was also saying a few days back on LinkedIn, I read that they were saying that you might be passionate towards your job, 
uh, it's about being passionate about something and doing something which you really love doing to succeed in that. So how would you relate to that, George? Because you have, be, you have interacted with so many founders, co-founders, people who have formed their business, and some of them, have, some of them might have failed. Some of them ended up uh, building their large ventures. What have you seen a common thing in terms of building their passion towards whatever they are doing? Um, for me, probably some of the wealthiest business people that I've met have the least amount of assets. So there's a lot of people that think success in business and wealth is all about money. I've got a $5 million house and I can do this and I can do that and all that sort of stuff. Now, if that floats your boat, well and good. But um, there's a lot of people that, that get up every morning and they have to go to work because they're trying to get the million dollars or the $5 million. Um, and then there's a whole lot of people that don't get up to go to work. They just get up and they go and do stuff and somebody pays them to do it. It's incredible. And they don't work. They just do what they love doing. So that to me is the difference between being passionate about what you want to do and then having a job or working for the sheer sake of asset. Um, so wealth is, is not something that should be set in concrete by Gary or you or me or anybody else. Wealth is about what's, what makes you feel happy. More often than not, the ones... The ones that are actually doing what they're passionate about, a big chunk of them end up being wealthy in real assets, but 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 very, very few of them are not happy. They're no. all happy with where they are. They're all happy with what they're doing. They're all happy with what they've achieved. Um, I have a number of friends that, that would consider me a great failure because I haven't made X numbers of millions of dollars and all of that sort of stuff. That's their problem in life, not mine. I think, George, um, I think about the definition of leadership, your definition of purpose, and and we see it with candidates when we're interviewing people. So we have you know 50 people apply for a job in the accounting firm, which sounds crazy in this market. Um, people are crying out for skilled skilled workers and we're getting that many people apply. But half the time we ask them, you know, we ask the question, you know, and we're trying to divulge, do they love doing what they're doing or are they doing it because they just fell into being an accountant? And yes. a large percentage of people have just fallen into being an accountant and they're doing it to have that income. They don't have the passion for it. And yeah, I think Gary, you're right. I, I call that being a mechanic because, because you're not a plumber. Yeah. yeah. Um, why are you an accountant? Well, I didn't do, it was either that or be a solicitor. I had two choices. <laughs> It's, it's not, I want to do this, um, whereas just in the short time we've been speaking, I can tell you have a, a real interest and a passion for what you do, which happens to also make you money. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's the secret, Gary, isn't it? To be able to find that what you're passionate about that happens to also make you money. And, and I think you'll do so much better at it too. 
Like yeah. I see, cause again, we have 300 business clients, 400 business clients and the ones that excel actually enjoy what they do. Yep. They, they, they wake up every day, they get to do whatever they want to do and, and, um, that they're happy for it. So sometimes I make a lot of money. Sometimes I won't make a lot of money, but they're still happy about it. And if you use, if you take away the money as a motivator, like all of us obviously need to earn a certain amount of money to pay for the lifestyle expenses, but you take away that money as a motivator, a motivator. And if you can do what you love to do, then you should be doing it and you should find that passion, find that enjoy. That's probably real wealth. Um, that the money monetary side of things is you know not always a true representation of someone achieving you know you know living their life purpose and in, and having a good life. And let's make it clear, Sarab. I'm certainly not, and I can tell from Gary, he's certainly not saying that having a wealth of a million, two million, whatever it is, is bad. No, we're not saying that at all. But what we're saying to people is it's not the only marker. And and I think. I have a lot of clients that would be millionaires um, in asset value. And I'm just trying to go through quickly in my head and think about them. But majority of them have the passion. They have the passion for what they do. They love what they do. Um, I think, yeah, the majority of them are that that personality. That's probably why we attract those people as, as clients and we work with those ones. But I, yeah, I think a large proportion of them would be enjoying what they do just as equally as um, they're successful in that space. And I think employees are most important to do exactly what you love to do because, you know, someone's going to pay you to do it anyway, so you might as well pick something that you enjoy to do. Mm. Go into the office and we have a table tennis table and we have five people, six people queuing up to play table tennis, you know, before work, lunchtime, after work, staying back to six o'clock because they're having fun playing table tennis and I quickly jump in so I get to play as well. But, you know, you should be finding enjoyment in what you do, especially if you're working 40 hours, 50 hours a week. You know, don't slave away just for the money side of it. There's much more to life than that. Yep. Yep. And that's one of the reasons we are running this podcast because we love running podcasts in the free time. Um, and I personally love uh, socializing with people. I love meeting new people all the time. Because that kind of helps me to learn new things from everyone. And that's kind of uh, one of the things that I always take into account as well, along with George is, and I think I've learned this from him as well only, that continuously improve yourself and do what you're good at uh, over a period of time. And repeat that over a period of time. That's what will gain you success instead of doing 10 different things. Um, I know I can organize bushwalks. I can run a podcast. I can do tech sales. I'm confined into this area only. I can't do beyond that because I've got 24 hours in a day. But if I keep on doing it again and again, again and again, over a period of time, I'm sure that it's going to be recognized. And if I've genuinely put in some efforts into that, people are going to recognize that. So that's something which I also take into account. Thank you so much, Gary, for sharing that. One thing which I want to relate with the current scenario is with this increasing prices every day. We had a discussion last week as well uh, with one of the uh, real estate advisors um, and we asked him the same question that what will you be advising to young Australians who want to invest in uh, their properties and they are cribbing about the fact that we don't have enough savings. Um, so what would you be saying to anyone, not only a young Australian? I think this is a problem now around the world 
with the Russia Ukraine war and other things happening, we are seeing that the prices of everything have got increased. Um, and sometimes the wages haven't increased to that extent in some countries. I'm not going to generalize it. So what will you be saying to people in general in terms of their wealth management in this era of ever-increasing prices? Ah, such a big question. Um, in Australia, a report came out yesterday saying that they're predicting energy prices to be 35% increase this time next year compared to today. And when you take in consideration that the average wage earner what uh, wages will increase by between five and six percent that's a huge disproportionate amount of money we'll be spending on power and electricity next year and you look at what's going over on over in europe with the energy crisis in england and i think about it and going what what is the best decision to be making right now when it comes to wealth uh, wealth creation and you know, you look at it and go, the US market's down, stock market is down, um, the property market seems to be coming back, uh, the Australian property market is coming back, the stock market's down 10%. Um, we've got record high inflation around different countries around the world. And I'm thinking about where do I put my money? This is a, like a, and clients ask me this every single day. So I'm looking at assets that are high yielding assets so whether it's a property or or a dividend stock but something that's got high you know rental income dividends or an annuity um, something that's going to give me a lot of income as per se and i'm looking for something that's higher than the interest rates so you know a lot of listeners out there will be thinking gary you can't buy a house in australia that has rental yield of eight percent and i would say you can um it takes a savvy investor to be able to find one, but you absolutely can. Um, and, you know, you can buy one that costs 400000 500000 so they're out there. What I would suggest in Australia property market is we're going to see a pullback. So the next 12, 18 months is going to be an amazing time to get into the property market. You will find that if you're a first home buyer, that house prices will, will have a bit of a reduction which will allow you to get in but on the flip side to that interest rates are expected to go up and the rba are pushing them up so i'd be watching the discretionary spending watching what we spend on smokes alcohol going out enjoying life those type of things building up as much physical cash as i could to be making that first investment in the next 12 to 18 months with the property market in australia being potentially um this is a podcast so it's going to be very evident if I was correct or not correct, but potentially at a low point in the next 12 months. And I would wanting to, I'd be wanting to take an opportunity when I can. With the new each state have different rules, but right now you can get into the property market with 20, 25 grand um, in savings. And that's what I'd be focusing on if I was you know, looking to buy a property in the next 12 months is the first home that I'm buying. For investors, I'd be definitely pushing that 8% plus rental yield properties. Um, there's property experts out there that will help you help guide you to those ones. Um, and I'd be looking at the stock market again at those high dividend yielding um, stocks, whether if I want to be investing in those ones or all things related to stock market, I'd always seek professional advice, but I'd be looking at those high yielding assets. 
thank you so much gary for uh, those suggestions i think that those were really useful now um one more thing that i have uh, continued to ask in this particular series which i'm sure george must be in board of uh, me asking this question again and again but when you're having when you're running your own business there are three elements to it which one would you be ranking at the top in terms of idea strategy and team uh, i know george would say that all the three are key pillars of that but i would like to ask you what according to you has been the biggest pillar of success for you uh, in your business that's actually a really fascinating question um i think without strategy it doesn't matter how good your idea or vision is um i've seen that happen time and time again where we've you know we're helping support business owners and they've got this amazing vision you know to take over the world or whatever they're doing but they don't have the right strategy in place then then so that for me strategy trumps the vision um team though team is really tricky because if you don't have the right team you can't implement the strategy and without the right strategy you don't know what team to get um i would say that team probably trumps vision, you won't have the right strategy <laughs> and you don't have the i think it's uh i think i think you're setting me up to fail all this question um <laughs> i think the team probably then so i think if i was looking at it and going that if you can get an amazing team then the rest will probably sort itself out so i think that would be my overarching one if we're talking ceos if we're talking business owners i'd i would saying focus on that team element and if we get the right team in place we can build the right strategies and we can have the right vision um i think it'd be team focus for me yeah. i'm interested george what what's your opinion on that one you probably already said it 10 times but no that's quite okay I, um, to me to me, it's that question is like, and, and Sarab equally is getting yeah. sick of hearing this one. Um, you're just fond of, you're just, you're just fond of ask, answering me 10 times, don't worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, question, the question is like asking the question, what's the most important part of the car? Is it the gearbox, the steering wheel or the engine? Um, <laughs> it, it really, it really, um, I, 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 I sort of, if I had to pick one, I would probably agree with you on the team, on the theory that if you get the team right, they will sh they should be able to deal with other things. Um, but um, you don't have to have the perfect team, you don't have to have the perfect vision, and you don't have to have the perfect strategy. Um, so, yeah. it's but it is a it is a very good question, and I I do actually enjoy. When we ask each new person, because it's it, it it really causes you as soon as you as soon as you think I'm right here, then you can argue with yourself over there and over there. Correct, and I mean it's so fascinating. So I've had um, and I'm being mindful that this is recording. So I think five businesses over the last ten years, maybe six, and. I got a really good one um, in my mind. So a property business that never actually got off the floor. So we um, we were running an accounting firm, we're running a mortgage broking business and a financial planning business. And I had this vision to 
also have a have a property business as well and didn't have a strategy for it had the vision and and i didn't have the team for it and it never like it never eventuated i probably spent a couple thousand dollars on nothing like literally nothing and that that failed in that sense um Whereas I look back and go, we shut down a financial planning business that was making more than $100,000 a year in profit because we didn't have a vision for it anymore. We didn't want to be in that industry. We didn't want to, you know, deal with the type of regulations you do with having an AFSL and having a financial planning business um, and just didn't didn't sit with me. I didn't have that purpose to do that. So so we shut, we shut that one down because we didn't have the vision. We had the team. Uh, we had the strategy. We just, I just didn't have the purpose for it. Um, and well, similar I, with the challenge, yeah. you, Gary. If if you if you had it and it was making a hundred thousand dollars profit, and you're saying you didn't have the vision, but you had the strategy. If the strategy was right, you would have had the exit. If you had yeah. the exit, then you would have had the vision. Yeah. To so me, we, to me yeah. the big thing with strategy is it gets you now if you if you're a salesperson it gets you to sell the right thing to the right person at the right time for the right reason for the right price if you're a decision maker it gets you to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason for the right outcome so it's and it, to me it, it's still strategy without strategy you're in trouble and i think the strategy ended up being for all the listeners out there. We shut down the mortgage broking business, shut down the financial planning business and solely focused on the accounting firm. And since then we went from five, $600,000 revenue to 3 million. So that's where we put our energy. That's where we put our focus. And for that, I'm so grateful because I love what I do and I get to do it every day. Yep. Yeah. And now I have that alignment between the vision, the team, and the strategy. Hmm. What do Thank you think you so is the worst thing about uh, being a co-founder or setting up a business? <laughs> so the biggest challenge that I've faced being a CEO or founder of a business would probably come back down to being the pressure. So when everything's going well, it's really easy. You know, lots of money going in the bank account, everyone's happy. But if things start going a little bit not so well, you've got pressure, debtors, you've got ATO bills, you've got all this pressure on you and you know as a leader you've got to put on a face because you couldn't turn around to your team and say guys i'm losing all this money you might have not have a job next week so as a founder you've got to be able to you know put on put on that mask to give everyone confidence that it's all going to be fine and again where i'm at now i don't have those worries um but at the start there was a lot of a lot of touch and go so being a founder it's not all smooth sailings and I think that's probably the hardest thing is that pressure that you get from you know everyone indirectly that you know relies on you to put food on the table for them and their families when you're employing them does that answer your question George yes definitely well there is no set answer it's, it's yeah. the individual experience yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think with that, we will wrap up with today's episode, Gary. Thank you so much for taking out your time. I hope that it was equally valuable for you. But I think definitely we have gained a lot of insights in terms of making better financial decisions. We have we have not done any specific episode which was just towards the 
just was making better financial decisions so i think that this is uh, going to add a lot of uh, value to that section of audience um, which is always looking forward to uh, taking some guidance from people like you um, and i'm sure once the episode is out it's going to get a lot of engagement and views thank you so much for your participation really appreciate that thank you very much guys thanks for listening thank you This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.